Alright, this is Heat Check, and after a false start on the stream, we are live with a definitive national championship preview. Probably the last time here, aside from a couple others, that you'll see us in the studio. Yeah. Maybe a new studio somewhere. Who knows? In the middle of America or in the southern, eastern part of America or places. Who knows what the future holds for Heat Check. But one thing is for certain, tomorrow will bring to us a North Carolina-Kansas national championship, the fifth meeting of these two teams in the Final Four, two programs that are intertangled in ways that I don't think the general public understands yet. We're going to do our best job to try and bring that information to light because, I mean, some have said that Kansas made North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina, the, the Kansas of the East. Uh, it's a program that wouldn't be what it is without Kansas. Let's be real. Where is North Carolina without Dean Smith? And where is Dean Smith without his Kansas education? I mean, people are talking. People are certainly people talking. People are certainly talking. Uh, those people might be us. Yes. And we've got a lot to talk about in tonight's preview pod. Uh, I think we've, we've wound down. The question becomes, has North Carolina emotionally wound down after last night and after the celebratory... Uh, Bourbon Street Raw. Stupor of, yeah, of defeating Duke, of being given the green light by Hubert Davis to enjoy the win. Many hurricanes consumed. You would think so. Uh, Bill Self, I read a quote this morning, said that the KU team was back and in bed by uh, 11. So you, that was, I mean, that gives them the Sunday leg up on North Carolina. One would hope. One would think. But there's a lot to go into in terms of matchups, our picks, our score predictions, our most outstanding player, some interesting nuggets, factoids, and, and things to watch for. And then just, uh, I think, the winding down of what most intrigues us for sure um, as we head into tomorrow night. And, it, and I know that ticket prices are plummeting because it's not Duke and it's not the Coach K farewell uh, because the Coach K farewell was on Saturday evening. Funeral tour. Yes, but it is still a massively intriguing national championship game, and I think that the style of play and the fact that these two teams rank in the upper echelon of tempo and, and speed and scoring makes it a game that should be extremely fun to watch. We are not going to get a brick fest. No, and I think we hinted at it last night. These two teams kind of, not in the way that necessarily their players play the game, but in body types, in natural matchups, mirror each other in a very interesting way. And to dive right into it, I think the linchpin matchup in many ways might be that of the power forwards, if you are to call them power forwards in this era of positionless basketball. What happens between Jalen Wilson and Brady Manick and how those two guys are able to either neutralize one another or not, I think will tell a pretty important tale about this one because elsewhere it's kind of hard to find where Kansas can maybe get an edge matchup-wise. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that across the board there are a lot of matchups that make sense. There's a lot of defensive assignments that make sense. Um, and one of, the, one of the defensive assignments or defensive matchups you would think that 
should make a little bit of sense. I don't know necessarily if Jalen Wilson will guard Brady Manick, but I think Brady Manick versus Jalen Wilson is an intriguing one because Brady Manick does not match up well defensively against. He's not going to guard. Uh, he's not going to guard Christian Brown because Christian Brown is more athletic and would would probably drive past him pretty frequently. He's not going to guard Ochai, of course, because that would require him to run around the perimeter. Uh, way too much. I do not think he will be guarding David McCormick because you would think that that assignment will go to Armando Baycott. Um, now, Hubert Davis, if he wanted to pull the Greg McDermott card, could try to use Brady Manick in the Ryan Hawkins role. And if that is the case, he could have Brady Manick guard Dewan Harris and sag off of him, basically not guard him. Now, he wanted to take a page out of the Greg McDermott book and also not change that game plan when Remy Martin enters the game, he could get get Remy Martin going. And I don't think that it would make a lot of sense for Brady Manick to guard Remy the way that Ryan Hawkins was guarding Remy. And that was something that Greg McDermott in the round of 32 admitted was a mistake. Now, if that is not the case, then what you end up with is Brady Manick guarding Jalen Wilson. And Jalen Wilson, both on the offensive glass, where Brady Manick is not necessarily the greatest rebounder, and in the athleticism uh, category, I know that Riley Swenson will point to the putback dunk that Brady Manick had against UCLA in the Sweet 16 as reason for belief that Brady Manick's athleticism is there, but it just is not necessarily the most impressive. To dribble drive, his ability to cut back door uh, and get past. is key to getting Baycott in foul trouble, getting Brady Manick in foul trouble because, and I don't have the data to support this, but I do believe that Jalen Wilson's drives uh, lead to the most amount of fouls drawn of anyone on Kansas. It would make sense. Just basically. tomorrow night that Remy gets off to a good start and doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't mess things up early because I rhythm he didn't necessarily find much of it against Villanova but Villanova was never going to be a good matchup for him yeah we've had some audio issues pointed out it should be rectified at this point uh hopefully that didn't interrupt much of what was just said but reiterate the back end of that last point please that Remy Martin, tomorrow night, I I would guess, my prediction is that he will come into the game and do what he did against Providence. He will come into the game and do what he did against Miami. He'll score a couple times. He will initiate offensively pretty decently. And because of that, uh, he will force R.J. Davis to guard, I think, more than, than, was what, than what Jeremy Roche forced him to. Uh, I think he'll be every bit as tough of a guard as anyone that UNC has played so far this year. Like Remy is better than Tiger Campbell. Uh, At least in the tournament. Peak. Re- saying, peak. Right. I mean, just all season. Just no, 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 not, not, not all season, but like Remy, Remy Martin, this version of Remy Martin, which I, and I have pointed out uh, in the thread that I posted yesterday afternoon that Remy Martin 
during the season, he was from November 9th to December 29th, which was non-conference play, he was 10.7 points per game in 11 games. In Big 12 play, he was 3.1 points per game in 10 games. He missed nine of them. His knee injury was a big deal because that got hurt against Nevada on December 29th. Mm -hmm. From March 10th to now, which is the postseason, he's averaged 13.5 points per game. Uh, that obvious that number obviously is lower because he only scored three yesterday. But Remy Martin has been effective. He's been better than Tiger Campbell was. Uh, like that, this version of Remy Martin is better than Tiger Campbell. This version of Remy Martin is every bit as good as James Akinjo, right? And should be able to force R.J. Davis to expend some some real defensive energy. And that's what I think. My question is: Can he still have the Martin's miracle? We've discussed this. The hypothetical that Remy Martin could hit a game-winning shot, of course, with 2.5 seconds left in the game because he would just pull up from 30 feet because he's Remy. We had we discussed the potential of how sweet it would be to end Coach K's career like that. That's off the table. Martin's Miracle still in play or no? It dead? Uh, no, it's still in play. Okay. Because it's the title game. Okay. It's the title game. It wouldn't be as good, though. It wouldn't be as good, but it would, well, it, it, it doesn't matter. Who it's against? Yeah, it does. It would no. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, it, Never forget. It it really doesn't. I don't think it. I'm actually kind of glad that we don't have to worry about that spectacle. Can just focus on the game. Uh, I mean, ticket prices have dropped to the degree of like in some instances, as much as six times a lessening of the value of certain tickets. The 600 level, which is like the upper, upper, upper decks of the Superdome. Caesars Sportsbook. Superdome. The Caesars Sportsbook. Never mind. Superdome. No free clout. Yeah, no, no free ads. Um, it was like $500 to get in mm-hmm. for the Final Four. It's like 50 bucks if you want to sit up top for the final for the I mean, title game. And that's just people want to get out, get out of town on Monday night. Yeah, it's an odd trend, but it, it is true that this is what happens with the Final Four. It's that... Everybody comes in town. There are four teams worth of fans for the first two games, and everybody's gone. And that's why, you know, the women actually have a much better setup going Friday, Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that... If if we want to talk about what would optimize attendance for the Final Four, which, by the way, I, I think it needs to be stated that the men's Final Four is played in customarily in football stadiums, which have capacities that are close to four times as much of that of an NBA Finals arena. Now, some college arenas are really big compared to NBA ones, but the standard NBA arena is about 20000 Superdome holds over 80000 So, I mean, tickets are just going to be cheaper based on that. But Superdome had 71000 that's what the capacity was for last night. I thought it was 80K. Well, I guess I'm wrong about that. Maybe they have more seats for football. That is... No, that wouldn't make sense now, would it? Uh, It could because... They put of... extra seats in for basketball. No, but they also block certain sight lines off. That's true. So Fair enough. I didn't get all... Stats and info. It all evens out. Um, I think that this title game, to be fair, though, like Nova and Duke have fewer alumni... There's True, less they're people there. Schools. They're both small private schools, yeah. Um, now, the amount of Duke people that were in attendance last night who are not Duke students, Duke alums. Much like our friend at Marley's. 
uh, yes, yeah, shout out and one and one. Get out of here. I hate Duke fans. Um, that that uh, there's there was a lot of people I'm sure in New Orleans who did not go to Duke who were there to watch Duke play, um, who have now departed sadly, on their own behalf. But now we're left with the Roy Williams Bowl. We're left with North Carolina and Kansas. We are left with the first national championship meeting between two programs that are coached by coaches who replaced the same individual. Roy Williams, because it's the Roy Williams Bowl. And that is a testament to the fact that, A, Bill Self was an incredible hire. He is objectively the best basketball coach in the history of Kansas basketball. No one has coached uh, – the the no one has – the program has only won three national titles in the NCAA era. They have five total if you count the Helms Helms national titles, which happened in the 20s. But if he wins this one, he becomes the first Kansas basketball coach with two national championships, two NCAA championships. He already has the highest winning percentage. He already has the best home winning percentage. He already has the lion's share of Big 12 regular season championships. He's won an incredible amount of NCAA tournament games. And no one will ever catch his mark and for- Power conference championships, not in the modern era, because no. we this is it is a wooden era type run during a time in which the Big Twelve has never been more competitive. Twenty twenty two, we have Kansas in the national championship. Twenty twenty one, we had Baylor. Twenty nineteen, we had Texas. I Tech. said power conference championships. When Wooden was doing this at UCLA, it was not a the power pack, conference. The, yeah, the, whatever the pack. Six. Like the Pac-8 or yeah, Pac-6. Like whatever yeah. they were at that ASU time. ASU was, was not in the league yet. Yeah. I don't believe. No, they were not. And some people would say Mark Few. And to that I would say Gonzaga is not in a real conference. Yeah, he's not in a power conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the other thing we have in this game is this guy, Christian Brown, which you can see him on the, the stream. Uh-huh. Apparently he's a bad person for this. Some have said. Some people have said that this is that saying uh, it's over. It's over. Expletive is one of the millions of reasons to hate the man. To that I say, have you ever met him? And to that yeah. I say, to that I say also, I have. He's a very, very nice individual, and on the court he has a little bit of a competitive streak. We like that. Dare I say he's an asshole on the court? Yes. Okay. But all things considered, that is what you love from your players. And I think that he's been uh, – this is the type of moment in which he can he can take over. And this is – like him versus Brady Manick is a battle of absolute, like, guys who are going to score on you and then tell you about it. Caleb Love, same type of thing. Remy Martin, same type of thing. Like those four guys – that's why it was so rare when Ochai hit that 4-3 of last night and he stopped and he stood in, and he turned in front of the Nova bench. Like, he doesn't do that. And that was a rare moment where he did. And he was he, he the direct quote that he had after was he was like, I wanted to show people like I'm the national this is the na- this is the real national player of the year. Now, Oscar Sheway went and won all the awards. Uh who had markedly fewer double doubles than Armando Baycott. Now, by two. Well, Armando's only gotten to pay, play three more games at this point. No, Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky played 34 no, games. No, because Kentucky went to the conference championship game. Kentucky played 34. No, they did not. They went to the center. Oh, that's true. No, no, Kentucky went Kentucky played 34 games. North Carolina has played 38. So he's played Shibway had 28 
double doubles. Baycott has 30. So it's 30 out of 38 and 28 out of 34. It's both are roughly like both are slightly above 75% of the time that they get a double double. Now, I think the interesting thing as we continue to talk about matchups, the Baycott versus David McCormick matchup. It's everything. It is a meeting of AAU teammates. That's cool. And they were also both teammates with Oscar Shibway. Uh, there was a team, there was an AAU team that had Armando Baycott, David McCormick, and Oscar Shibway. It prepared Armando Baycott to then play with Daron Sharp and, and Walker, Walker Kessler. Kessler. And now you might say it didn't, and it prepared David McCormick to play with Yudoka Azubuke. And Silvio. And, and Silvio, yes. Uh, <laughs> the chair drop. And, and that, that has gone really well. Now, Oscar didn't necessarily have the same type of teammates at West Virginia or at Kentucky. But I just would like to wonder, like, they won every rebounding battle in every single game that AAU team. It had to have. If Silvio – so if Pat McAfee can be in WWE, <laughs> why can't Silvio? I think that it is a – it would be an apt career choice for him if I he'd mean, like to. we know what he can do with a chair. Yes. Yeah. He can drop it. Which you would argue might not be very effective for WWE. That's but, a fair point. Um, NIL deal? <laughs> I don't know who makes chairs, but maybe your like local Nebraska Furniture Mart. That's a that's a Kansas uh, a Kansas company. But uh, there's as the Baycott and McCormick matchup Steel goes. Case is the biggest chair manufacturer. In the world. Okay, good. Glad we got stats and info on that. Um, the Baycott versus McCormick matchup is interesting because uh, Bill Self had a belief that David McCormick was better than Eric Dixon, and that was that was factual. And because Villanova knew that they couldn't foul, um, Dixon gave up some easy looks, didn't contest some things that maybe you would say normally would be contested. And I would say that the Doug Sermons, James Breeding crew, James Breeding, and Keith Kimball, like that, those three guys. Did. Those three guys, that's a Scott Sandooli shout yeah. out. Shout out, Scoot. Um, those three guys weren't really calling much, many fouls. It kind of became a football game last night. Uh, McCormick was able to score effectively. Now, will he be able to draw fouls against Baycott? Will he be able to get him into foul trouble and force Puff Johnson on the floor, force Dontrez Styles onto the floor, and kind of change the matchups if that's what happens? Um then Kansas really, like, if Baycott gets in foul trouble, this game is, dare I say, over for North Carolina because Kansas will abuse, like, the all-time heel turn of, I I said it last night at the very end of the show, shout out David McCormick for the Texas game, the Texas Tech Conference Championship game, mm-hmm. and the Miami game to go along with the Nova game. So four games in which he's right. kind of made himself a Kansas legend. But it would be the cherry on top. Legend. Uh, he's putting himself up there. You get yourself to the a national championship. The streets are talking in LFK. You get yourself up to a national championship game. Scott would not know what the streets are saying in LFK. No, he would not. But <laughs> but McCormick can do that. And if, if he's ending up in a spot where he's being guarded by either Brady Manick, Dontrez Styles, or Puff Johnson, like David McCormick will feast. And if David McCormick starts feasting, then you have the problem of having to help down low. And that means helping off of either Remy Martin, Ochai, Christian Brown, and and then you get into the problem of like you have no answers, and that's what Nova's Nova's defensive principles have always been, and this is a defensive principle that usually works: double big guys, 
force people to make open looks. The problem is most of the time you're not guarding Ochai Abaji. Like you're not guarding a first team All-American and you're not helping off of them. They did and they got burnt. If North Carolina ends up in a spot where Baycott's in foul trouble, they will be helping off of Och, CB, Wilson. And that's where this goes. I think North Carolina just five on five, your best five versus Kansas's best five. Very even. I think North Carolina even has a little bit of an edge. Because I think that it's going to be hard for them to guard Caleb Love and the high ball screen actions. That said, I'll also add this addendum. Remy Martin, really, really pesky on ball screens. Because he's able to get skinny, get into areas where he shouldn't. Sometimes he'll get called for a reach. Sometimes he'll get a steal. Sometimes he'll bump you off your path. Uh, and he can be an irritant. And he's actually, I think, although he may not be the most, I guess, adept pick-and-roll defender in the world, He's annoying as hell. And Caleb Love has not played against annoying as hell in this tournament. Okay. I I do think, though, that, hey, that backcourt's going to be really hard for Kansas to guard. I, I think it's going to be very difficult to stay in front of them. And that is, I think, something that you'll even concede. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's R.J. Davis, who is the point guard of this team, or Caleb Love who is the best runner of easy offense on this team. I think it's going to be really hard for Kansas to defend that backcourt. Okay. Opposite turn, I think that Kansas is in a position where if they, and this is true both ways, if they are able to win any matchup on the floor by a decisive margin, they will be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's or I think I think that if there's a statistical category in which they need to win, mm-hmm. it is turnovers because if they win in turnovers, they will score in transition easily and they will win this game. I agree with that too. I do not see a world where Kansas forces and I, I, old takes expose me if it happens. I do not see a world in which Kansas forces five or more turnovers in the plus margin to North Carolina. Five more turnovers than North Carolina yeah. forces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't see a world if the margin in turnover disparity is in favor of Kansas by five or more. I it will be very difficult for North I Carolina think, to make up that margin. I would say it doesn't even need to be five. It needs to be like three or more. Yeah, and it's it's the same stuff. We actually were watching uh USC and UConn in the women's national championship, and we remarked at how South Carolina was able to build the massive lead. Here's how they did it. They dominated offensive rebounds and turnovers by an ungodly margin. And the three-point line. And the three-point line. If you win those categories, you will win the game. It's a fact. And usually decisively. Yeah. With the offensive rebounds, the offensive glass, and with the turnover battle, those will be huge indicators. And that's a cliche thing that's almost a coachism to say. But it's going to be really true in this. If either team is able to hit the offensive glass particularly better than the other two, the better offense rebounding bigs in the country, that's going to be a real problem. And Dave McCormick's spasticness, I will also add, I think could exasperate any foul troubles that Armando has. Like if Armando has one or two fouls in this game that don't come on an offensive player trying to get a shot, either they're illegal screens or... It's an over-the-back, or it's a hook on an offensive rebound attempt by Dave. Those could be things that will look little in the moment, but could unwind UNC. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if if Baycott gets a couple iffy ones, or if he just gets some fluky ones, it's not gonna be good for North Carolina. Um, I think it is worth noting that the thing I kept saying and the thing that I tweeted and that our good friend Jack Loader said would not have been something that he would have tweeted if he was had a rooting interest in, in an outcome uh, is a tweet insinuating that it would be hard for Kansas to lose. And the tweet in question was when I said, and let me find the tweet, uh, reminder as the TBS analyst, this was Kenny Smith, this was, uh, this was actually Seth Davis pregame talking about the game hanging in the 50s. Um, and I said, reminder as they drone on about Villanova's defense and the tempo keeping the game in the 50s, Kansas has not scored fewer than 62 points in any game this season and are 27-0 when holding their opponents under 74 points. Nova has to keep up. Uh, turns out I was uh, actually, uh, yeah, well, okay, wait. You're proven correct. No, I was, well, I was incorrect because it was 26-0 at the time, but now they're 27-0 because I was proven correct and they scored 81 points. Which it appropriately is now currently on now the Now it's 27-0. They are 6-6 six and six when their, their opponent scores more than 74. So if, if North Carolina gets to 74, they have a chance in this thing. And I think that they definitely could. Now the argument against it would be that if you go into Torvik and you filter the stats and you go to the first day of February, which is the f- day or two after Kansas got drubbed by Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Because as I wrote in the Heat Check Herald earlier this week, previewing the Final Four, since Kansas lost to Kentucky, they have been the number one team in the country, according to Torvik, if you do time-sensitive data filtering. And since North Carolina lost to Pittsburgh on February 16th, so obviously a smaller sample size by two weeks, two and a half weeks, Mm -hmm. they have been the best team in the country. But in that time since the first day of February, Kansas is third in adjusted offense, fourth in adjusted defense. For the season, they're roughly between 15 and 20 adjusted defense. Now, so my point being, they have not allowed their opponents to get to 74 points very recently. They've not allowed themselves to be in these toss-up games and, and the toss-up games that they've played in doesn't mean that they can't be, and I'm not saying that this is a definitive because this is more of a anecdote than an, than an outright... Mm-hmm. Kansas could Kansas could have lost the Providence game. That, was, that game was played in the 60s. It right. is possible. Right, right, right. But let's be honest. North Carolina and Kansas are not stopping each other from scoring 65 points, I would say. If if either team ends up below 65 points, something astronomically poor shooting-wise has happened. One would think. I just don't think either team has enough defensive answers for the other. I mean, and Kansas is playing extraordinarily good offensive basketball at the moment. Their last three halves of basketball. The last three halves. The rest yeah, of the tournament, they the, were really not that good. That's the point I'm about to make. The last 60 minutes of basketball they played. The second half versus Miami. First and second half versus Villanova. 47 points, 40 points, 41 points. They've won every one of those halves by a considerable margin, believe double digits in at least two of them. Yeah, it's... And, and yes, Villanova did not have Justin Moore. Okay. Yeah, and that made it, like, that That went from a game that Kansas probably wins, but not, like... Two possessions. Sure, but yes, it, the spread would have been 
a little less. It would have been less than four and a half, and it would have probably been a one or two possession game down the stretch. But Justin Moore aside, Justin Moore being there doesn't change the fact that Nova had no answers for David McCormick on last night, and it doesn't change the fact that Kansas was plus 25 when David McCormick played. They were minus nine when he wasn't. So every time that someone says Nova went on a run, Nova had runs, Nova had runs that made it close, it it wasn't Nova made a run, it was Dave is sitting. And it was, anytime Dave was in the game, Kansas was dominating. Anytime Dave was not in the game, let's be honest, Dave was not Dave was Dave was the difference, and they didn't dominate. Like Mitch Lightfoot had a very good minute and a half to close the half. He had a, a putback score. He had a good defensive rebound. Those you said it was going to be dubbed the Mitch minute for you, and yes, that was important. But at the end of the day, David McCormick was a much better option. David McCormick was much more effective, mm-hmm. and David McCormick was the key to that game. And Nova, regardless of Justin Moore or not, did not have, did not have the answer. I I think tomorrow night the I keep going back to it. The, the guy that North Carolina doesn't have an answer for is Jalen Wilson because Jalen Wilson's going to get guarded by Brady Manick. And I well, think uh, – who's a decent defender, but he's not – better than people think. He just doesn't have much of a willingness to play defense. And this is this is what – Seth Davis did his scouting the Final Four. He's a Duke guy. But he he did it by talking to anonymous coaches from the leagues. From Duke. From the leagues that uh, – or from teams, talk to John teams that play against them in the NCAA tournament and such. And he talked to people who had played against North Carolina. And he talked to people who played against Duke. And the two guys on North Carolina and Duke that they said don't have a willingness to defend are Brady Manick and Paulo Bancaro. Now you would say that's a bad omen for a guy who might get picked top three in the draft about Paulo. And I would say that's a bad omen about a guy who's going to have to play in a national championship game. If you're if you're playing 35 minutes in a national championship game and you don't have much of a willingness to defend. And that's why I think that that's probably a straw man argument at this point. Uh, I'm he, But he's, he's not physically capable of holding up if you attack him. I think that's the better point. Let's... And is there a coach who's more pragmatic in his game plans? No. And, and is more of adaptable and more willing to do weird stuff to find answers than Bill Self, like Triangle 2. Yeah, he's, he's college's Bill, he's college's Nick Nurse. Yeah, he will find different Maybe answers. more aptly Nick Nurse is the NBA's Bill Self. Yeah. Bill Self has been doing it for a lot longer. For a lot longer. Uh, and the boxing one could be something he tries in this game. Now, UNC certainly has the ability to shoot them out of it quickly, but I could see in certain instances against certain lineups especially when Puff Johnson is on the floor, that they might try it. Just to throw a wrinkle. And I well I think a try I think triangle and two might be more more apt. Yeah, maybe. Because then you, you get somebody on love, you get somebody on manic, and then you force RJ Davis to play two man ball with with Baycott and with Leaky. And I think the importance of that is with the triangle and two. You know, it's a back you're you're kinda some zone principles, right? Does that compromise you on the defensive glass because you're watching the ball and not the man? That's always a big criticism of the 2-3 is that you're prone to give up offensive rebounds. Does that that hurt you there or does it help you there because you have more bodies around Armando? That's that's my question on that. I want to zoom in on something with North Carolina. Caleb Love has only had one consecutive streak of multiple 20-point games in a row. He's had... 
instances where he's had like 20 and then 19. But here in this NCAA tournament, 23 points against Marquette, 5 points against Baylor in a game he fouled out of, and shot 16% from the floor. Big game, 30 against UCLA. Mm -hmm. 20, I think, 6 of those coming in the second half. Turned around, 14 points. You say that's not that bad against St. Peter's. Well, he went 2 of 10 for 3 and 6 of 17 from the floor and missed his only free throw um, and turned it over twice. Four assists, four rebounds, two turnovers. That's not that bad. 28 points in this game against Duke. Is he going to be able to do something? He And I don't want to put up the, a falsehood argument that like he's not consistent because he's been consistently really good Very recently, for, the, yes. for the better part of the last month. But let's not let that wipe away the fact that yeah, this is a guy who's been a little bit inconsistent. I'm not. I, he was inconsistent. He's, he's that, been that's inconsistent. That's always been the knock on him. But he's been this, inconsistent in games in this tournament. He had yeah. three points in the first half against UCLA. He had no points in the first 15 minutes against Duke. And in those games, he had times in which he was turning the ball over and allowing teams to score on, on live balls. Yeah. So like, the counter argument is he's also been incredible. Yes. In large stretches when his team is needed. But my argument would be. I think I think this Kansas team is is better than Duke. I think this Kansas team is clearly better than UCLA. They're and, definitely better two ways than Duke. Yes, and there are. I, I think that if you have a stretch where Caleb Love basically hands Remy or Jalen Wilson or Ochai the ball and says go run with it in transition three times, you're giving up six points at least, and that's enough to just kill you in this type of game. I heard you, though, bring up the 2-for-10 three-point shooting that he had against St. Peter's. And that brings me to the point of three-point variance, okay? So Kansas has played five NCAA tournament games this year. In one of them, Providence shot below its its season average. Yes, as you wear your Providence 1987 New Orleans, New Orleans Final Four. Um, as you wear that shirt, I point out that Providence shot below its, its season average from three-point and probably missed some decent looks, okay? Okay. In two of them, that is also a game that Kansas shot its worst in this tournament. So I guess it, it offsets, okay? So it offsets. It is what it is. You go from there. In two of them, Creighton, who is a 30.8% three-point shooting team for the season, that is 310th in Division One basketball. There are 358 Division One basketball teams. That's not good. Yes, not very good. Creighton shot 43%, 42.9% from three against KU. So that's... 12 percentage points better than average. Furtado and Seymour alive during our live. Love it. Continue. Good, good for them. Uh, so Creighton shot 12% above its season average. That, I would say, is an abnormal performance. Kansas survived that because Remy Martin was incredible. Villanova, last night, they are a 36% three-point shooting team for the season. Decent. 60th, 60-ish. In the, in the country. They shot 42% from three against Kansas. So that's six, point, six percentage points above average. They made 13 threes. The fact that Kansas has been able to survive two abnormal shooting performances or above average shooting performances from their opponent, basically out of four games, because you're not losing to Texas Southern, so there's really been four real games so far in this tournament for Kansas, is impressive. And my question would be for a North Carolina team that has shot the lights out against Marquette, shot the lights out against Baylor, shot the lights out 
against uh, Duke, at least in the second half, and, and mm-hmm. did really well against UCLA, you can say that's the North Carolina team that's going to, to show up. And to that I say, Providence shot out of, out of the gym against both South Dakota State and against Richmond. Kansas found the defensive answers. Miami shot out of the gym against Auburn pretty pretty solidly. Yeah. Kansas found the defensive answer. It took them 20 minutes to do so, but they found the defensive answer, and they found their answer uh, like against Nova as well, and you would say Justin Moore. I would agree with that as well. I don't know. I just, to me, I trust that Bill Self is going to find answers to at least slow North Carolina or take away, take away something. Take away something that's been consistent, whether it's Caleb Love or R.J. Davis. But if R.J. Davis and Caleb Love are both good in this game, North Carolina wins. I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think there's any guaranteed performance from anyone on Fair North enough. Carolina. Fair that enough. Wins them that is the most important grouping of players that they can have perform well. I think that's because if that happens, it means they've exploited Kansas' backcourt defensively, which is the weakest point of this team, and. When that happens, everything in the offense opens up for them. Uh, the thing that I said to you against Duke for North Carolina is it felt like North Carolina got penetration whenever they wanted. And if Kansas can do enough to prevent that, to at least make UNC have to work to enter the ball inside the three-point line, that will have done a lot to help them win this game. Yeah, I think that I think that you could find if Kansas is not capable of if there's been a, a criticism of Kansas defensively this year, it's been and Bill Self would say it, it has been that they've not always been the greatest at ball screen defense. And I don't know if there's a team in the country more willing, more capable of defending ball screen or or abusing teams who can't defend ball screens than this North Carolina team. And their two biggest wins of the year are against Duke and are because they found something against Mark Williams where... I'd argue Baylor's up there too. But. I think that the two wins against Duke, they would say... Because of the rivalry. Yes, mean more. But I'm using this as, as evidence of my point, is that they found... <laughs> they, Convenient, they, yes. They found a way to attack pick-and-roll ball screen defense by Duke and put Mark Williams in uncomfortable positions and then go and score. And even they did it where they got Paulo switched on to R.J. Davis and on to Caleb Love, and they scored off of him too. Like, that was something that they were capable of doing. If they are capable of getting R.J. Davis and Caleb Love in one-on-one positions against David McCormick, it will Mm -hmm. be a scary proposition for Kansas. So Bill Self has to find ways to avoid that. He found ways to avoid getting... McCormick guarding Sam Wardenberg against Miami. So I think it's it's possible, but we'll see. This is important, too. Because this game's going to be so up and down, people aren't going to think about this this way. But when we talk about matchups, it matters even more in this game because you don't have time to switch stuff on the other end as easily because the game's really played you know, in 10-second intervals. I think, for large stretches. Mm -hmm. So whoever you're guarding on one end is likely to be the guy that you're attacking on the other for a lot of this game. For a lot of this game, I think. And I also know that if, for whatever reason, if North Carolina wants to slow it down, Kansas has shown an aptitude to 
like slowly deconstruct teams in the half court. And that's what happened against Villanova. They have the lowest number of possessions that they've had in the game since 2016 with only 56 and put up 81. Mm. So, yeah, there's we are, I think, grasping at straws to find which way these two teams separate each other from one another because they don't. These teams are incredibly evenly matched. And for all intents and purposes, to me, from a basketball perspective, if we're going to wash away narrative, which as journalists... I kind of rebuff the notion that we should do that. I think narrative is extremely important for why people should care. Well, and especially, of course, especially, especially in this game, guy, I think especially that, in this but. game, because because if you take if you make if you tell me a one seed is playing an eight seed for the national championship, you tell that to the general public. There's going to be a lot of people who just ignore it, like they're they're like, all right. One seed versus eight seed national championship game. I'm not that interested. But you tell me, you tell me the birthplace of basketball and North Carolina, which is the bluest of blue bloods, uh, officially now, <laughs> is are playing in the national championship game, and everyone should want to watch. Now, looking for. Here's the thing. You picked North Carolina to go to the Final Four preseason. They mm-hmm. have top 10 talent. They're playing like top 10 talent right now. Now, they don't have top 10 uh, depth. Yeah. I, I know where you're going. I want to finish the point that, okay. I, that I was making. Okay. This matchup is so much better than what Duke and Kansas would have been from a basketball perspective. If we're going to wipe away all the Coach K nonsense, I think this is going to be a much better net basketball game than the alternative. That to me, this was the best possible matchup we could have gotten in the national title. Not out at the of, start of the tournament, of, but all of, the final four the final teams, four, yeah. and realistically, out of the elite eight teams to me. Well, yeah, because yeah, because at that point, having, Arizona and Gonzaga were gone. Yeah, Houston would not have made anything more interesting. Miami would not have made anything more interesting. Arkansas doesn't make anything more interesting, and neither does St. Peter's. So, yes, we got a good final four. Well, St. Peter's would have been. No, cool. no. If no. we're just looking at it in a vacuum, sure. But. but, okay, so if we go up and down the the general common statistical categories, points per game, field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, free throw percentage, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals per game, your scoring defense, your field goal percentage defense, your three-point defense, your rebound margin and assist to turnover what would you say what would you guess are the t- are the categories that North Carolina can win or does win based on everything this season I'm running back one more time just all so right. I make sure I've got it all points per game field goal percentage three point field goal percentage free throw percentage rebounds assists blocks and steals per game I'm going to throw out points per game because if I think they win that I think they they win the game no, 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 but like for the season, what are the, who's better? Oh, who's okay, better? okay, okay, okay. Uh, scoring defense, field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage defense, rebound margin, and assist-to-turnover ratio. I feel like North Carolina rebound margin makes sense, but I don't think that that's the answer. It is the answer. Okay, well, so that's one. there are three things that North Carolina is better at. Okay, that's Two one. of them are rebound. Rebound margin and rebounds per game. Okay, so you got those two, and then there's. <laughs> I have not sunk the battleship there's, yet, though. There's one where they're tied, and there is one in which North Carolina wins the rest of the way. They've got really good guards that are athletic and smart. I'm gonna go steals. No. 
Free throw percentage? Yes. 76% for North Carolina, 72% for Kansas. I mean, it's not. I watch college basketball all year. What can I tell you? And then they're tied in assist-to-turnover ratio. That one surprised me a little bit, but Kansas operated with a turn guard for a lot of the season. And Kansas turns the ball over a decent amount Yeah, at times. That can be their, their bugaboo. Um, I think that we could... In a stronger conference, mind you. Yes, in a much much stronger conference and a much stronger defensive conference. Riley would then turn around and tell us, well, the which got team two got final two Final four, team. four teams? I don't care. Um, let's go with... We've talked about making a champion. It was a big topic in 2020. And there are... And then it didn't work. And, and then it, you stopped no, it. no, 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 no. And then we found some flaws in it, but it's still worth noting. Okay? Okay. There are three things in which North Carolina, by winning, would be unprecedented. They would be... And this is, this is something that is flawed... A team's adjusted defensive efficiency post-championship, because typically if you've won six games in a row, you've played good basketball, you've played good defensive basketball to the point of winning the title. So it's usually going to improve, which means that teams outside of this bar typically could play their way in. And we've seen Kansas do this right. because they started the tournament at, I think, 25th in the right. country, and now they're 17th. And, and that's why I balk at everybody who brings the TikToks that I saw this year of, like, Listen to Kenneth Pomeroy. He will tell you the national champion. Just look at the efficiency numbers from the end of the year. And it's like, well, of no, course, it's a confirmation shots. bias thing. Because, yeah, duh, the team that wins the national championship is going to elevate like 50 spots in Ken Palm. Well. Idiots. Not 50, but. Dumb TikTok dummies. People trying to get clout. But the point is. Misinformation. Last year was the worst defensive team in the Ken Palm era to win the title. Baylor was 22nd. Now, they got better as the season went on. It felt like they were just a better defensive team than that because I think when they when they really locked in, when they really tried, defensively they were an incredible team and they could just kind of, Davion Mitchell, they could sick him on you and go and do that. Now, North Carolina right now is the 39th adjusted defensive efficiency team. So that would blow out of the water. Nothing that they can do tomorrow night besides Kansas showing up and purposely missing every single shot <laughs> could make their adjusted defensive efficiency numbers even close to Baylor at 22. So that's the first thing that would make North Carolina an unprecedented champion. And these this, this unprecedented champion thing has nothing to do with even the fact that North Carolina would tie the lowest seed ever to win the title. As yeah, I, I want to talk about that and here in a second. They are the fifth eight seed to play in the title game. North Carolina would also have the worst average margin of victory of any champion in history. As I pointed out in making a champion, no one has ever won the national title with a average margin of victory that is less than 7.4 points per game. Uh, that was the 1988 Danny and the Miracles Kansas team. So interesting parallel, interesting yeah. nugget. Yeah. Yes. Continue. And then the last thing, so that would make them an unprecedented champion, barring like a weird blowout, which would tilt the scales of what their points scored and points allowed has been. And then the last thing is every national champion from the heat, from the uh, making a champion era has either finished in first place in their conference in the regular season. North Carolina did not. They've finished in a tie for second in the ACC. They have won their conference tournament. 
North Carolina did not. They didn't even play in their conference tournament. They sandbagged it because they didn't want to play Coach K again. And then they ended up the, and then they ended up being like, screw it, we're going to beat him in the Final Four. Or they've had a first or second team All-American. North Carolina did not have that this season. And then I will dis I will disarm the haters of making a champion, and I will say, this version of Armando Baycott is a first or second team All American. Yeah, but, so, but again, that still defies the rule. But yeah, that that still would break the rules. So that's three things, plus the fact that they're an eight seed. And I, I want to focus on this point for a second. I think the fact that this is so improbable. What North Carolina has done has been just washed away in the fact that they are North Carolina and that they had the win in front of everybody against Duke and Cameron. Like, this is this is more significant than what Kemba did at UConn. This is more significant in terms of its historical lack of precedent than NC State. And Georgetown, right? And Villanova. Oh, yeah, I keep yeah. saying it. Yeah, okay. I can't criticize you for that yeah. for obvious reasons. Yes. Like, they are an eight seed. They were not in the tournament until the last week of the regular season. Not firmly, at least. And they have dispatched last year's reigning national champion, Coach Kane, his final game, the most significant college basketball game maybe ever. Dang. And now a chance to lift the national championship. Like this is this can't this is impossible with a first year head coach. Who, by the way, there were North Carolina fans, I'd say like a 10% contingent of UNC fans wanted fired a month and a half ago. This is Danning in, in the the Miracles. This is this is one of the most incredible runs that we've ever seen in the tournament. And God damn you, Coach K, because the circus around you has submarined this and submerged it from media attention. It's That was a little aggressive it's too by bad, me. It's too bad that Purdue didn't beat... Like Honestly, it's yeah. too bad Purdue didn't beat St. Peter's because that would have been another incredibly fun style of basketball game in the Elite Eight that would have forced... That would have forced... North Carolina to play incredible offensive basketball. It could have happened. I think that there are parallels between this North Carolina team and the 2014 Kentucky team. That that Kentucky team struggled to win big-time non-conference matchups. They lost to Michigan State in the Champions Classic. They lost to Baylor at Jerry's World. They lost to North. They lost at North Carolina uh, in a non-conference game in December. They lost big-time games in conference uh, against Arkansas, against LSU. They lost to basically every single, uh, basically every single ranked teams, the team that they played, except for one, who was a top-10 team, Louisville, which was their in-state rival. So there's, there's the Duke and Carolina parallel. And then they get an eight seed. They go on this run. They beat a one seed in Wichita State. They they beat Louisville, who was their rival, in the Sweet 16. With a high-volume guard and clutch shots throughout the tournament. Yeah, and, and they just chalk up big wins. Michigan they beat. They beat Wisconsin in the Final Four. And then they lose to UConn, who isn't Kansas' stature of blue blood winning every single year consistency, but is a 
national elite who has storied program history and who is not afraid of being in the national championship game. So there's a lot of parallels between this year and 2014. Um, there's we can just keep going down the list of odd things, parallels, things that uh, don't mean anything to the game but are worth talking about just because it's it's funny how and the the easy thing to say is like I love sports. I can't believe we have this type of thing. But it's true. Like in 1998, I pointed this out to you. 1998, Kentucky wins the national championship in San Antonio. 14 years later, they end a drought in New Orleans. In 2008, Kansas wins the national championship in San Antonio. 14 years later, they're in New Orleans trying to end this drought. There's just weird stuff like that where you're like, you literally can't script this. But you could point to it and be like, oh, NCAA rigged. <laughs> like it's It's weird stuff like that. So NCAA rigged, you said it on me. Do you, do you know who uh, the the game is being played tomorrow, April fourth? Kansas is one and zero all time on April fourth. It is the nineteen eighty eight Danny and the Miracles game. Well, and Kansas also won the last matchup of these two teams in the tournament, which was a one versus eight matchup. Yeah, in the round of thirty two that time, but but North Carolina is five and zero in final four games in the Superdome. Lot on the line. Lot on the line. There's of course, a lot including line. a national championship. Yes, uh, and to that ex- to that extent, the last time that they've played in the Final Four was in 08, and Kansas went and started that game up 40 to 12. So that's not bad. Not bad at all. And that's a team that had that is the team that, as I said, at a Final Four in which Kansas was the third team talked about. Because let's be real. K was getting all the talk, and then people were talking about the North Carolina angle of the K rivalry, the Duke-Carolina rivalry. And then they were saying, oh, well, also Kansas is a one seed who's here, has a pretty easy matchup, and is going to going to get one of these teams in probably a Blue Blood National Championship game. Well, there's parallels to 08 because Kansas was there, and other people were talking about Derrick Rose being the number one overall pick. And they were talking about North Carolina because they had Tyler Hansborough and they had other big-time names. We left talking about Mario Chalmers. Yes, and we could leave talking about Remy Martin. Second most impressive thing of his career behind the Harlem Shake video. That is true. Yeah. Um, you got anything else you want to break down before we do Let's picks? Let's do a legacy power ranking. Of <laughs> okay. Before we get out of here, legacy-defining things that these players and when I say players I don't mean players in the athletic sense I mean in the theatrical sense so that envelopes in Bill Self and Roy Williams even um, it doesn't envelope in Coach K because he's done forever I think it does envelope in Coach K I can pull I can pull things that make this bad for Coach K well legacy wise though who has the most to gain Going Bill into Self. the 40 minutes of basketball, Bill let's Self. rank it. So Bill Self's number one. Uh, yeah, Bill Self. I can't is, say I disagree. Bill Self is number one. If he wins the title, he puts himself into an elite class of guys who have won two national championships. Um, he capitalizes on, let's be real, not one of the best teams of his time at Kansas. I would argue that the 2020 team was better. I would argue that, and he didn't get the opportunity there. I would argue that the 2016 team was probably better. Uh, I would argue that the 2017 team, probably better. I definitely would say 2016 was better. I Maybe 2017 was better. Uh, 
they were a ton of fun to watch. I think this Kansas team is is objectively better than the 12 and 13 teams. I guess there's some parallels to 2012 because that team was really good defensively and really in 20-ish in offense. So it's kind of the reverse of this team. Um, but I think it, it would be, let's be real, it would be Bill Self taking advantage of probably the f- fifth or sixth best team in his, his time at Kansas. So he's getting a ring in probably a year that people were people were going to be happy with the Final Four. But mm-hmm. now that the Final Four has shook out the way that it has, and Kansas has been a four-point favorite or more in all six tournament games, this is a title that he, he needs to win. And this is a title that would propel him into a different class. And it would validate the fact that in a in a long span, this is the this is the variance argument. This is the law of averages argument. I guess I would make is that if you just keep stacking one and two and three seed performances in the NCAA tournament and four seed, he's never been worse than a four seed. He's always a one or a two. It seems like he last year was probably his worst team in Kansas at his in his time at Kansas, and he was a three seed because it's Bill Self and he's the freaking Wizard of Oz. Uh, if he wins a title with this team, it is it is the if you keep showing up to the dance enough times, eventually you're going to find a partner. And if if Bill Self keeps showing up as a one seed, eventually he's going to win a couple of national championships. And this one matters even more because who knows what the NCAA stuff's going to be and whether he's going to get attorney ban. Or maybe he'll go to the NBA. Or I, you keep saying that. I don't. I've said that twice. I yeah, don't keep saying that. Uh, you got it. You got to win this thing. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Sixteen coaches on the men's side have won multiple national championships. Seven on the women's after Don Staley did so tonight. That puts him into a category that is inhabited by less than twenty-five human beings ever. And if he wins a third, he joins a grouping that includes, I believe, only three women's basketball coaches. Pat Summit, Gino Ariema, Tara Vandeveer, and only Jim Calhoun, Bob Knight, Roy Williams, Adolph Ropp, Mike Krzyzewski, and John Wooden. If he's able to, at some point in his career, if he wins... And you'd think he'd have like another decade. One would think. But here's so barring here, what George Hill decide George Hill Grant Hill decides to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, he could have he could have a decade minus a year or two for tournament sanctions. But if they won the national championship in a year where he isn't on the bench during the tournament, what's that mean? They they wouldn't they wouldn't win a title without him. They would one wouldn't think, but anything can happen. Anything could happen, but yeah, it would it would not be. I mean, that would just that would just show that the variance of of. Because uh, we are game time, based on time. information that's been circulated, the point is that we think the possibility is that his NCAA punishment and the NCAA is moving towards punishing coaches, not programs, which is the way to do this, I think. His NCAA punishment would be that he would be suspended from postseasons for two years. Not from coaching, but it'd be like a March Madness show cause. Yeah, so you wouldn't be able to coach the tournament for two years, uh, which I would be a fan of. Of teams' punishments being like recruiting viol- like recruiting restrictions a little bit, and not being able to coach in the tournament, like that's fine. Um, that's it. Would also be big time for his resume that 
Like, this is, from a legacy standpoint, if he wins the title, if if you're if you are anti the NCAA, right? We all should be. Are you anti the NCAA? I know a lot of people on Twitter are. It's the Is fun, that a question? It I I it was it was uh, yes it was <laughs> yes it was a rhetorical question because I knew you didn't need to answer. You are anti NCAA. Lots of people. It is the fun, hip thing to do to be anti NCAA. I was here before all of you. <laughs> and I want to point this out. If you are team screw the NCAA and a lot of people are, what you should be rooting for tomorrow night is Mark Emmert being forced to hand Bill Self a tournament championship trophy. We have your playbook. Because the FBI said they had their playbook. The NCAA said, we're going to put you in this little FBI investigation for five years. (laughs) This little FBI FBI investigation. Yes, the federal government. We're going to drop... I cannot believe we used taxpayer dollars to investigate. To this find guy. nothing. To find it. To plant evidence. To find nothing except for Will Wade telling people that he had strong ass offers to be made. He's the American gangster. But the freaking FBI and the NCAA bring up Bill, Teflon Bill, as Dan Wolken likes to say. Unbeknownst to him, sick nickname. Wolken was Teflon trying to burn Bill, Teflon Bill is an incredible nickname. Slick Billy. <laughs> Slick William. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. They thought the NCAA was like, we're gonna we're gonna drop Kansas's name in there. And old Bill's not gonna be able to convince eighteen to twenty two year olds to come to Kansas anymore. And he was a little bit right. And the people were saying, This is a K Kansas City AAU team. And if Bill Self goes out and wins a title with essentially the Mocan elite team plus David McCormick. It will be two double birds from Bill Self to the NCAA. And I'm here to say, if you hate the NCAA, you're obligated to root for Kansas tomorrow night. Because oh, Hubert Davis... The NCAA did smash North Carolina. No, they well, didn't. No, they, they didn't. said they were going no, to. No, they said they, they were going not. to, and then they didn't. So, yeah. so if you are anti the NCAA, then you should be rooting for Kansas. Hubert Davis is too nice of a guy. Bill Self, good hang fun guy I would argue I mean we all know we all know Zion went to Duke for free so yes Kansas was in the wrong what are impermissible offering him quote whatever it takes to come to Lawrence was clearly the wrong thing because everyone knows anytime you can go to Durham North Carolina for free and be part of the brotherhood everyone's going to do that you gain so many life lessons yeah like it's it's so worth it there's like how not to quit you couldn't put a price on it how to blow your shoes out. Hey, we don't how talk to lose, about Nike like that. How to lose in the Elite Eight. All those types of things. Like You, no, you learn about Cassius Winston. And Tom Izzo. And Gabe Brown. And Kenny Goins. Oh, you Kenny learn Goins. about all of those things. But I'm here to say the number one legacy play is Bill Self winning a title with not his best team. With the glorified Kansas City Elite AAU program. Mocan Elite. And... Double birds to the NCAA. I wonder what Caleb Love, who is from St. Louis, thought of Kansas growing up. Now, St. Louis is not close to KU, respective to, like, Kansas City. Opposite part of state. But it's in the region. 
I'm pretty sure the reports were that he grew up a Duke fan, and he had to refute that last night. He said Duke was not my dream school, North Carolina was, which I feel like is revisionist history, but it's it's fine. He said, take that, Jason Tatum. Yeah. Meanwhile, Brad Beal's just like over here like, hey, guys, what's up? Yes. So who is Bill Self number one on your legacy power oh, it's got, Yeah, but we've gone off topic. Yes, absolutely. Full stop, no doubt. Um, number two... Oh, last thing? Yeah. He gets to number two. He will have the same amount of national titles as Jay Wright. He will have more conference championships, more conference tournament championships, more NCAA tournament wins, higher winning percentage. With Coach K retiring, unabatedly, Bill Self becomes the best coach in college basketball right now, bar none, full stop. That's Jay Wright, not full stop or bar none. No, 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 no. Also, Mick Cronin. Yeah, get out of here. Yes. All right, I'm not gonna two. let you. I'm number not gonna let the, you do what you just did. Number two for the legacy. You just did the Rosillo thing. He's the best coach in college basketball. Okay. He's a slight edge, slight edge over Jay Wright. But and then there's a big cliff. Yeah. Not Chris Goatee yeah. is not. Tom Izzo has lost his fastball. Club. Bim Jaheim has lost his fastball. Some are saying Tony Bennett lost his fastball. <laughs> Some are saying Tony Bennett was always throwing 86 on the corners. Knuckleballs. <laughs> He's already dicky. Yeah, he's already Dickey, and Kyle Guy was his Cy Young season. Yes. So, there you uh, go. Number two. Number two is Roy Williams. Oh. Because it would be the ultimate end to Coach K to be like, I pick my successor better than you, which would be solidified <laughs> with Hubert Davis winning a national title in his first year. With the guys that Roy had recruited. I, it, it just proves that Roy is an elite decision maker and college GM. John Shire couldn't eclipse that. Well, John Shire's not even going to get the option to next year of he's going to have mandatory back own, surgery. He's going to have his own. And Kay's going to coach again. But John Shire's going to have his own roster next year because Keels is going to leave Bancaro, Moore, Williams, AJ Griffin. They're top like their top five guys. Oh, Theo John as well didn't get a senior day. No big deal. Joy Baker will be back. Joey Baker will be back and and maybe for a senior day. But no, he won't because he'll be a grad student, so he won't get a senior day. They'll just come back and they'll honor Coach K one more time. Like they'll be like the one year anniversary of Coach, Coach K, K retiring. Beat by North Carolina. We'll never forget. We will never forget that. No, we will not. No, that's true though. This is Roy Williams' retirement. Uh, this is Roy Williams' legacy play. Yes. The Kansas City Star talked to him today, and he said that I believe the direct quote, if I'm, I don't have it in front of me, was, "I won't be rooting against the Jayhawks." but I will be pulling for the Tar Heels. Which means he's rooting for North Carolina. It's where he went to school and whatever. But if KU wins the title, he's not going to be upset. Okay. Legacy-wise, though, in all seriousness, that was memes. In all seriousness, legacy-wise, of Ochak Baji, Remy Martin, Dave McCormick, who enriches their legacy most with Ochai. strong performance? You think it's Ochai? Ochai, for sure. Ochai Igbaji, if, if, if Kansas wins the national championship tomorrow night, Ochai Baji is Danny Manning. in a class that only Danny Manning is in. Yeah. It is All-American, best player on a national championship team. Not even Will? At Kansas. I don't believe – I could look it up, but like the, the modern era. Yeah, you know Will I mean? played in an era before blocks were kept as a stat. Yeah, so it is 
and even if it is Wilt, that only adds to it. If Oach is in a category of him and Danny Manning, or Oach is in a category of him, Danny Manning, and Wilt Chamberlain, it you is take the second. It is unbelievably impressive, and to think that the guy could have gone to the league last year and been picked somewhere between twenty-five and forty-five is is impressive. He's made himself so much money. He's probably going to end up being picked somewhere now between 10 and 14. He will probably end up playing 8 to 12 years in the league as a 3 and D guy. I think that his career arc, his career uh, to hearken it to another guy who was on a Kansas National Championship team, I would not be surprised if he has the NBA career of a Brandon Rush. And that would be really successful in my opinion. Uh, as long as an NBA team knows that that's what they're drafting. But he would put the 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 cap on an incredible year. He would validate what we predicted all preseason, which was he was going to be a first-team All-American and he was going to be on the team that wins the national championship. Both of us said that. Yep. And yes, we did. it would be a massive legacy play. His jersey would be retired as soon as the time is is possible. Uh, because I think Kansas has like a grace period. They don't they they don't do it like some schools where you retire it a year later. Luca Garza, yeah, Luca Garza, who gets it a year later. Um, that's For not to say that it's like wrong. Two NCAA tournament games ever. It's not to say that it's wrong. It's just that Ochai is behind. Like they still have to retire Frank Mason. They still have to retire Perry Ellis. They still have to retire Devontae Graham. Like all those guys. By the way, thirty is kind of a fire number. Like I think thirty is sick. It looks clean. You know who else worth 30? Who? John Shire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I'm I'm convinced that John Shire was hired at Duke because he looked like Brad Stevenson a little bit. Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. Stevenson. Adding O-N there. Oh. Interesting. Um, I think that... Who, 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 who is Brad Stevenson? Is he an accountant in I Omaha? Don't I don't know. He might be. Uh, Lance Stevenson, though, is is a name. Uh, Brad Davidson. Third, third person on the legacy power rankings. Is it Hubert? Well, I never said it if I thought it was Ochai. Oh, do you do you not? I think it is actually Dave. Oh. Ochai's legacy is cemented. Like, yes, he can elevate it. Well, he could put the, like, But he will be remembered it. fondly regardless. Dave... Goes from being a guy that I, I don't think Davis can play in the NBA. Maybe. You never know. I don't think Luca Garza's played some minutes in the NBA. I didn't think that was possible. But if he wins a national title at Kansas, I mean, he's a Kansas all-timer. And he could win most outstanding player of this tournament, which would be one of those things where it's like, really? Put his name up there in the rafters. Yeah, and that that's a massive jump from what it would be if they just lose this game. In terms of how he's remembered. Dave McCormick could be a name that we remember. I'll never forget him. I know you won't. But I'm not I'm not everybody, so I can't speak for it in that, that sense. You can. You, yeah. You have publicly advocated for Mitch Lightfoot to play over him multiple seasons now. Jalen Wilson to play the five. You you've you've asked for KJ minutes. <laughs> you yes. said you said I'd love to see this Zach Clements get his hair out of his face and start playing some some hoops. You've you've been no one has loved Silvio more than you, so you've always wanted anti Dave thing. But but now you're saying this I have so be, much respect for him though. Oh, you have to have respect at this point. What what he's been through to have the mental fortitude 
to find a way back every time, despite having this innate ability to tear yourself apart before putting yourself back together again when your team needs you the most. I think it is Dave McCormick who has the most on the line, aside from Bill Self. Wow. Armando Baycott and Ochai, I think, are a joint three. I think they have similar statures on the line. Like, Baycott enters like a Raymond Felton lore territory at UNC if they win. And to some extent, maybe so does Caleb Love. I mean... I guess I don't necessarily know the history of North Carolina basketball as well, obviously. But... UNC winning the title, Caleb Love going off again, the UCLA game, the Duke game, this game, would put him... It it would... it. Caleb Love is the North Carolina David McCormick. Like... That is an apt comparison. At, at a certain point in time, was a atrociously bad basketball player who was very talented. The fan base had turned on him. Both were McDonald's All-Americans. Both were highly recruited guys. One from Missouri, St. Louis, that goes to North Carolina. Geographically, doesn't make a lot of sense. One from Virginia that goes to Kansas. Geographically, doesn't make a lot of sense. Fan base, as you mentioned, had turned on them. And then they have this redemptive arc where they've played so well in some of the biggest games. The Duke game at at uh, Cameron Indoor. The UCLA game. this uh, the, the Duke game again. And and then a, a, a potential national championship spot. So, yeah, I would, I, would, I would say that Caleb Love has the most to gain of any North Carolina player. Now, I, is it close to Hubert? Maybe. I think that Hubert, legacy-wise, doesn't have as much to gain. Um, I mean, he will be instantly beloved. I, 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 think that, I think that what North Carolina has accomplished in beating K these last two times has put them in a category where this Carolina team will be loved by everyone in Tar Heel, the, the Carolina family, for a very, very long period of time. But if Hubert wins this title, he opens himself up for so much future success. So I don't think it's necessarily as big of a legacy player for Hubert as I think it is a monster step forward for the future. Because... I was looking up ages today of coaches. He's a year older than Bobby Hurley. And everyone's like, oh, Bobby Hurley's so young. Like I don't think people lot, are saying that. Anymore. I think people I think people still think he's a pretty young guy. And Bobby Hurley's a year younger than than uh They he, played against each other, right? Yeah. Yes. They did. I can't believe North Carolina's in this game. Like I can, but I, I can't. It's it's shocking, but it only happens to programs like this. It only happens like Kansas had their run as an eight seed in '88. Kentucky had their run as an eight seed in uh, 2014. Well, and usually because these are supremely run. talented teams that are equipped to do this, that have just underperformed, underperformed. in the regular season, mm-hmm. but like are m- much more likely to go on a run like this as an eight seed. Yes, because they're not a Marquette, and they're blood <laughs> blue, and that's why like Memphis had a. A chance this year. They were very talented as well, and they were. That's what happens. Eight, eight, and nine seeds are either very average teams, or they're a well underperforming, <laughs> elite program, or a team that's gotten really hot, 
at the right moment mm-hmm. and elevated from like by winning their conference tournament, elevated from like a first four team to being an eight. Should we talk about the Remy Martin legacy? Yeah, ASU I mean, angle it, and what it, what he in can a lot do. of ways the same stuff that's on the line for Dave is on the line for Remy. The difference is he just didn't do it all at Kansas. Well, I would I would argue that in his Kansas time, he has had the Dave thing shrunk. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've talked a lot about his redemptive arc. Yes. This has been a very Kansas-centric podcast. We've talked a ton about North Carolina. I don't think Riley would agree. I I feel like we I feel like we have. But we're now we're 29 in. Let's let's get the Remy thing and get out of here. Okay. I think that the so the the Remy thing, the three points against Nova makes it significantly less likely, barring a massive moment tomorrow night and a massive amount of points. But in his career totality, four years at ASU plus this year at Kansas, he's at nineteen hundred and ninety nine career points. He needs one point to get to two thousand. Doesn't happen very often. I know that he needed the fifth year to get there. But it's, it's telling of what he's been. And it's telling that he's adapted his game. He's come full circle. He was a six-man at the start of his year of his career. Pac-12 six-man of the year as a freshman. He's basically a, he's a six-man now for Kansas. And he's found a role. Bill Self has molded him into what he needs him to be, but also still allowed him to be what makes him himself. And this is a... Uh, uh, the, the Remy storyline in a lot of ways mirrors North Carolina this year. Lots of expectations going in, very underwhelming during the middle run of the season. Huge arc that is going to make uh make Remy and because he's been attached to this team is now going to make him one of the most beloved dudes in Kansas history. And that's odd that he's going to be so attached to a team that retook the all-time wins record from Kentucky, got to a final four, maybe becomes the second Bill Self Natty team. Uh, that he's a part of all of this with Kansas. And he also has a great argument to have his jersey retired at ASU. Mm-hmm. Like he is one of the 10 best players in ASU basketball history. The bar is significantly lower out here. But if if he plays his senior season at ASU, or he plays his graduate year, his super senior year, his extra season, he's he would have ended up all-time leading scorer, all-time leading assist, and top five in steals. And I know that uh, Joe Healy put out the poll. Are you supporting him? Are you rooting against him? Are you indifferent? And a 1,000 votes came in, and 71% of them said that ASU people were rooting for Remy Martin. I think Good. that's the correct response. I think that shunning someone who gave so much to your program was part of the most successful run of the program's history since the 80s would be dumb. And I think that as time heals, the wounds of him leaving, the awkwardness of the COVID season, the uncomfortable nature of how it ended out here in Tempe, Mm -hmm. I think that his jersey should get retired at ASU. Now, I think that will probably come eight, ten years down the line, if we're being honest. Like, I think it will take some time for that to happen. And a Kansas national title only attaches him stronger to the KU brand. Right. Which makes it... Which makes it you you would need more time, and I do point out one of the qualifications to make the Ring of Honor get your jersey retired at Kansas is NCAA tournament MLP. So if he does that, 
then at ASU you're like you're like do you do you want to make him the first person who's ever had their jersey their jersey retired at two schools? It has never happened before in college basketball. It would be the most NBA type thing of all time. It's like the Heat having Michael Jordan in the Raptors. Well, it it it'd be like LeBron getting his jersey retired by the Cavs and Miami. Kevin Durant saying that the Thunder have to retire his jersey, and the which Warriors, they should. And the war he said the Warriors should too. Well, they both should, but. Saying they have to is kind of wild. Yeah, but if, if if Remy won NCAA tournament MOP and came out and was like, ASU should retire my jersey. No, have and, to. ASU has to retire, ASU my, has jersey. To retire my jersey. And Kansas or else I'm telling too. the NCAA about how the bag was thrown. Yeah, I mean it. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that's if that's the outcome. And I'm I'm glad for his sake that. He went somewhere. He wanted to go to a Final Four. He wanted to go win a national. Yeah, he's got everything he bargained for. Mm-hmm. Good for Remy Martin. Yeah, and he's proving the fact that like Big Twelve preseason Player of the Year was wrong. It should have been Ochai the whole time. Right. Again, high five. We got that. One. Yeah, we we got that right. But it wasn't stupid. The knee injury made things look stupid. Can you duck out of the way for a second? Yeah, there you go. No, wrong. Yep, that guy. Igor Milicic, that's my player of the year. <laughs> ACC. Coach K says it's Armando. The, I say the, it's Igor. The media says it's Alondis. Peyton says it's Igor. Igor, I'm going to pick him again next year. <laughs> Go for it. Let's uh, let's pick M- MOP and let's pick the game. And that's okay. MOP is fascinating. There could be seven guys that I think win it. Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Brady Manick, Armando Baycott. And on Kansas, it's McCormick, Remy Martin, and Ochai. I don't see it coming from anybody else. I think you could make an outside chance argument for Jalen Leaky Wilson. Leaky Black. For no. Jalen Wilson, because he's averaged, I think, near a double double. But he would have to have he would have to have a all caps moment tomorrow night. Yeah, he's so there's, to have like there's seven and there's six. seven and a half. There's seven and a half options. But I as don't far see as I'm the concerned, Wilson option manifesting as, in any way. As far as I'm concerned, that's more than we've ever had. Yeah, and like we tend to speak in sweeping hyperboles at points in time. When we say it's the greatest game we've ever seen, well, I mean, we've seen a fair few, but we are only 21 and 22. Yeah. So, like, take it with a grain of salt. I just called us dumb kids that people shouldn't listen to. But, hey, there you go. I... I Dave McCormick will be tournament most outstanding player. No. Mm. Do I want to pick North Carolina? I know Scott's picking North Carolina. No, that's, we, that's, we know that. We know Riley will pick North Carolina. Kevin will pick Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sticking by my guns preseason. I think you, you want me to pick North Carolina. I think that's good for Kansas. It's up to you. I think that the, for the record, I yeah. think that the national championship most outstanding player will be Ochai Baji. Um, it's Destin, North Carolina, is winning the national championship. Who's winning? MLB? Brady Manick. Score? Final score 87 to 82. Barn burner. Yeah. Barn burner. I will say Kansas wins. 79 to 73. 
I think that they will. Reasonable. I think that they will keep North Carolina under the threshold. And credit to you, there was much talked about big arenas and not being able to shoot the three ball consistently that in New our- Orleans, which we brought the information up that hey, I understand shooting was really bad in the last tournament played in New Orleans, but it was all about the teams, not about yeah. The, it's like the guys, teams. guys. And these teams were all great offensive teams and not great defensive teams. Yes. Not bad defensive teams, but not but elite. But not, not, not elite. Not elite. And not elite by this, not even good by the standard of national championship. Right. Is good. Right. So that is a sanction. Do we have any others or we want to just get out of here? We will have a lot to say tomorrow so, night. No, tomorrow night's going to be an awesome. Tomorrow awesome. night will be an incredible podcast. You should watch live. You should tell your friends. You should listen. All of it. One last scholarship. Don Staley. Not for winning the national championship. For winning, for wearing a $6,000 Louis Vuitton leather jacket. That was incredible. And just kind of out swagging Gino Ariema. And saying, this is my sport now. Go away, old man. Go away, women's Coach K. Be gone. Spurs up. I'm good for South Carolina. Sanctioned Di- Diana Taurasi, which, I mean, I'm not going to delve into why. Scholarship to... You can figure it out. Scholarship to a good run of uh, an unprecedented... Fi- scholarship to 15-0. and 0. It died tonight. Uh, UConn men's, UConn women's combined 15-0 and all-time in the NCAA championship game. Eat shit, Scott. First loss. That's a tough loss, Scott. That's what you, you put bad vibes in. You put bad vibes into the atmosphere for the last two days. Just toxic energy. <laughs> Karma always pays the visit. Kansas is the Big East champion. Scott's still banned from Lawrence. Uh, and Knoxville. And yes, yes, and 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 Knoxville. <laughs> Um, big, big. Don't don't try to alpha me. No, on the podcast. No, no. tomorrow Never night. Again. Tomorrow night, though, four of the ten starters are from Kansas or Missouri. That's crazy. Christian, uh, Christian and Ochai from Kansas City metro area. Dewan from Columbia. Caleb Love from Missouri. Dewan Harris is from Columbia, Missouri. Mm-hmm. He's only at Kansas because of Christian <laughs> Conzo. <laughs> Because Kwanzaa didn't recruit him. Yeah, facts. Um, That's a, a whiff by Mizzou. Surprise Brady Manick's not from Kansas. Scholarship to people who think... Brady Manick looks like a Jayhawker. Brady Manick looks like a Sooner. Like a literal Sooner? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, if only he'd gone to West Virginia. He could have been the mascot for the football games. He could have been the mascot. For the football games, he literally could have been. He could have been the, the mascot. Mascot. Um, Got a gun. <laughs> yeah. Little raccoon skin hat. <laughs> Scholarship to people calling other people literally a bad person. Stop. Stop. Yeah. I'm going to end the podcast yeah. right now. If you know, you if know. If you know, you know. It's not very journalistic to call an athlete a bad person that you've never. Le- least biased KU take ever, though. Least biased. That is incredible. Okay. That said, 
Let's, Let's have, have a night tomorrow. Let's have a night. Have been Appointment check. viewing on Heat Check tomorrow night. Uh, I'm going to show you the bad person one more time. It's over. Tonight's episode is over. It is. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.